I'm Chris Sims, and this is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. In this episode, we have a special interview for you, and we're going to focus on a whole lot of waste of taxpayers' money and a big lack of accountability. Do you remember that story from a couple of years ago out here in BC, when the BC legislature used taxpayers' money to buy a wood splitter? You know those hydraulic presses used to chop up firewood? It's true. The officers of the legislature, those folks that manage the building and they run around in those black and white robes, they use taxpayers' money to buy the thing. In fact, they spent around $10,000 in taxpayers' money to buy a truck trailer to haul the thing around in. Now, you might be asking yourself, what does a legislature need with a wood splitter? Good question. That's the same question that then-speaker of the legislature, Daryl Plekis, started asking himself real quick. Who's Daryl Plekis? Well, as we mentioned, at the time, he was the speaker of the legislature. But he's not a career politician. No. Before he was elected to the legislature in Victoria, he spent most of his time in academia, specializing in criminology. He's even instructed law enforcement officials on how to conduct a good investigation. So then picture it. Shortly after he's named speaker, he looks around and realizes that Thousands of taxpayer dollars are being wasted on this sort of nonsense. So what does he do? He went undercover. Yes, <laughs> Daryl Plekis went undercover. He started making copies of these receipts and copies of these spending reports and copies of these really fancy overseas trip itineraries. He compiled them all together into a report. And then he dropped that report like a bombshell on the BC media. It made such an impression, and it was so alarming, that the then-clerk of the B.C. legislature was escorted off of the grounds of the legislature. Now, we're getting into some heavy stuff here. As of the recording of this podcast, the former clerk of the B.C. legislature is facing some pretty serious charges, including fraud. But he has not been convicted. He's just facing the charges. So did this stop at the wood splitter? Unfortunately not. The report that Daryl Plekis put together has some damning allegations. Spending on things like fancy overseas trips, including spending sprees through their local gift shops, hundreds and hundreds of dollars spent on fancy luggage, thousands of dollars spent on fancy cameras, and really weird stuff, like a whale-watching trip that was then claimed as tsunami awareness training. How? Did spending like this happen at the BC legislature? Why was so much of our money wasted on this nonsense? And what can we do to prevent it in the future? We spoke with former Speaker of the legislature, Daryl Plekis. So let's find out. Mr. Plekis, wonderful to speak with you today. Uh, you aren't a career politician, and you became Speaker shortly after you were elected to the BC Legislature. And I got to say, that, that's a pretty good gig. Uh, you're paid reasonably well. It's a position of prominence. Get to wear a jaunty hat. Why did you dive in to this investigation into spending in the legislature when you didn't need to? Well, Chris, first, thanks very much for having me on your podcast uh, I would have to say more than anything, it was a bit of an accident. I'm on the job for 15 minutes. I go into my office and I discover that there's a cabinet full of liquor. And I ask my executive assistant, you know, what's that all about? And she reminds me that 
uh, I'm the speaker and I can have anything I want. And if the liquor selection isn't good enough, you know, they can make sure that whatever I want is, is in that cabinet. Well, in that later that evening, I look around my office and I notice that there's liquor everywhere. The cabinets are filled with all kinds of liquors. So that was my first thinking that, gee, this isn't consistent with what you'd normally see in government. I, I knew from my university days that, you know, you can buy dinner for people, you can buy lunch for people, but they never pay for alcohol. So that was the first thing. Um, and then I immediately asked the then clerk uh, if I could have an audit of my office. And he said, okay, he could arrange for that. And I met with that auditor and I said, look, I want my office to operate the same as every other part of government. I wanna be transparent, I wanna be open and anything that you recommend that I can do to do that, I'm gonna accept those recommendations. So off he went, uh, I met with him about a month later uh, for him to tell me about the kinds of things he was concerned about. And then he went back to the clerk and the clerk was the person who organized uh, that auditor. Well, I never saw him again. For, for those people who are watching across Canada who weren't aware of this spending scandal, uh, you very rightly said, if I'm paraphrasing you, if taxpayers don't want to throw up by the end of this investigation, I'll, you know, eat my hat or resign. Uh, we, we definitely did want to throw up. It was absolutely yeah. sickening. And to detail some of the misspending that you uncovered, and I think that you were the one that kept all the receipts and kept the documents in order to prove this to people, there was all sorts of stuff. There was overseas trips to uh, Great Britain. There was an overseas trips to Hong Kong. You mentioned the luggage and we're talking fancy luggage here worth about $600 per suitcase bought at the last second at uh, airports. There was the famous now wood splitter, which was more than $3,000. There was a trailer to stick the wood splitter in for some reason, which was $10,000, which correct me if I'm wrong, was not on the grounds of the legislature during this investigation and miraculously showed up the night after you blew the whistle. Is that true? That's, that's correct. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, people also need to know, I mean, just because it's still a bit complicated for me to talk about it because it's before the courts, but yes. they, they want to remember that the charges against the clerk uh, include beyond the breach of trust, it's fraud, two counts of fraud over $5,000. So we're not just talking a little bit of money here, but there's other uh, matters which are still under police investigation. Like I, people should not think for a minute that, you know, gee, the police are finished and there's, this is the end of the people who are gonna be charged or could be charged because uh, it's definitely a very, it's still an active investigation. And uh, that involves, uh, you know, it, it, that involves an elected official. Okay, so and, there's still a police investigation in this. Oh, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Okay. And and I would say the extent to which people commit fraud is is mind-boggling. Like one would think, you know, gee, you know, you could at least you could be creative about it, but they just fudge things like taxi receipts. Uh, make stuff up, uh, full-blown lie about being somewhere where they're not. Uh, and it just goes on and on. And again, what happened in one case where 
or we had one case of a, an employee who said, you can't be doing this, this is fraud. The first order of business was to fire that person. And has, that, there, have there been any reparations? Have these employees none, been given severance none, or something or an apology or anything like none, that? None whatsoever. Okay. None whatsoever. So, so that is still, you know, very troubling. And I'm still hopeful that at the end of the day, it's going to get to a place where there's charges. But, and I would say at the point at which that gets to charges, if it does, uh, the seriousness of the matter uh, is far more serious than what people have heard thus far with the, with the clerk. Uh, because it'll, it, it's the nature of what happened, how it happened, and how it was handled, uh, which tells us that there's a lot more people who need to leave the building in Victoria there. Uh, so, but it, again, it's hard because the, tr the troubling part is, you know, there's so many things that I argue, they ultimately facilitate corruption. It, it's just a, a whole series of the way business is done from the structures to the practices, the policies. Um, and it's all aggravated yet further because when we elect people to office, we expect them to have a strong moral compass mm -hmm. because so many things they can do, we just can never be privy to. They can have conversations in the hallway. They can, they can do all kinds of things and, and they, they can bury it under in-camera meetings uh, yes, they, they can, and ask me if I'm sick of those uh, because you know what happens in camera and then you say well I can't talk about that that was in camera uh, and and can say all manner of things uh, and do all kinds and pass all kinds of uh, uh, decisions and the people uh, who are looking at it from the outside, you know, just don't have an awareness of this. You can even have situations, as I know you've called for, like uh, expenses should be public. Yes. You know, yes. should be transparent. Well, I'm saying some of my explorations and finding with respect to fraud was simply observing what was public information online. But because the average person would look at that and wouldn't be privy to thinking through, well, what's really going on here? Uh, so I'm saying, even though you have all these things in place and protections and, and safeguards and policies, uh, it still demands at some level that you have people who have a strong moral compass because otherwise, uh, you know, they could, you can pretty much do whatever they want with a wink and a nudge, uh, failing to do things. That's the other thing I found that works well. You mm -hmm. just you just ignore it, you, which is what they tried to do do to me over and over again. You have IT systems which are so antiquated that if you came along and said, "I want to know what's going on there," and 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 ask for access, they'd come back and say, well, Chris, I'm sorry, uh, you know, our system doesn't allow us to give you that information. Uh, it's, not, it's, it's not capable of doing that. Uh, it, it, you just throw up your arms when you know that all of these things are, are, are going on and have been going on and have been going on for so long. Uh, and you have to ask the question, well, who is guarding the fort? Like, <laughs> you know, who, 
why weren't people paying attention? We have similar situations in Ottawa. I'm from BC, but I worked in Ottawa on Parliament Hill for around 17 years. And I was, I must say, coming back here home, I was struck by the lack of transparency and accountability at the legislature, like jaw-droppingly. When I worked on Parliament Hill, the ethics commissioner literally told people, don't accidentally take a pen from a journalist or a staffer or vice versa, or we could consider that to be a gift and influence. Dead serious. That's wow. how clear they were. And so when if you're working with expenses or anything like that, it all has to be completely public. It is posted on the Internet, both the uh, expense form and the receipt, so they can see exactly where the minister stayed at the hotel, what they ate. And as you pointed out, you can't expense booze like these are all really now no brainers at the federal level. And when you get back here and you realize that that isn't happening and even if you wanted to put in a freedom of information request in the clerk's office or the sergeant at arms or the speaker, you can't. They're not FOIable. Not one no, bit. It, it's, it's absolutely appalling. And, it, and it's, it's just hard to believe that it's allowed to, to continue. Uh, I mean, the other thing I've noticed that the efforts that people go to to prevent people from knowing, even if it is supposed to be public. Like the one argument that was made by politicians was on hotels. Well, we can't, we can't have people knowing where we're staying. That has to be blacked out on anything that's public because, you know, that's information. Somebody could be, it could be a security threat. Like oh. there's all kinds of things. Like, After the I'm fact, thinking, no, it can't. I know, and I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, well, we're crying out loud. People know where your office is. They know where you're where your home is like, yes. but, it, but so you have to say, well, what else are you trying to do? Exactly. Uh, and uh, it's just, for me, I would say, when, when I looked at it all, I thought like, I cannot believe this is happening. I, ca I cannot believe it's happening. And, I, and again, the hardest part is where it needs organizations like yours to go in full blast and say, stop it, stop the presses. Yes. Uh, and, I, and I hope more uh, Canadians will, you know, see how important it is that we have organizations such as yourself to do this, because if we don't have you yelling and screaming from the rafters, <laughs> the next question is, then who? Then who? And right now, I can tell you that's almost nobody. Uh, it, it's just, it's just crazy stuff. Now, hopefully it'll be a bit corrected once the whole you know, all of these charges and that are finished being dealt with. But, uh, but you know, one thing I would say is, is that people miss too, is like we've introduced, you know, so many different policy changes with regard to vacation, gift policies, spending policies, which, you know, were in place 20 years ago in Ottawa. We, we brought, all, brought all of those in and they're still important because one of the things that we were up against uh, is, you know, when there's a whole collection of wrongdoing by these individuals and there's no way it can go anywhere because it always came back to, well, there's no policy. Hmm. There's no policy. There's no, we, we didn't have policies on, on vacation. We, time, we didn't have policies on gifts. We didn't, you know, all manner of spending was without policies. So people could do as, 
they damn well please with you. And you could never come back and say, well, you should be dismissed because you violated, uh, you know, you, you are misspending. They'd say, well, misspending how? Where does it say that I can't buy a TV for myself? Um, you know, it's just crazy stuff. Or an, so, I'll, I'll point out an Apple TV or two or Bose noise canceling headphones at 500 bucks a pop or two sets. Or I think I counted more than 40 magazine subscriptions, uh, cameras, fancy ones bought one year apart. Very interestingly, on the same date, just before Christmas at the same camera shop, different colors. One was red, one was blue with a matching bag. All of this spending was so strange. And we went through every single one of those receipts that you thankfully posted on the Internet. I don't know if they're publicly available now. Probably not. They're probably subject to the the court investigation going on right now. But I must say one of the ones that we found was it was a, a receipt that was from the Hong Kong airport. And it was an expensive piece. I think it was around $300 or so. And written in pen on it was luggage underneath an item. And I was curious. So I looked up the item number. It wasn't luggage. It was a very fancy men's watch. So number one, expensing luggage at the last minute at the Hong Kong airport on a trip that was questionable anyway isn't a good use of taxpayers' money. Number two, writing down that it is actually luggage when in fact it's a men's luxury watch is not okay. What receipt to you jumped out? Was there any one particular expense that people can really sink their teeth into that made your eyes really open? Was it the wood splitter? Was it the whale watching tour that was written off as tsunami awareness? Was it the Mariners game that was written off as, what is it, uh, crowd control evacuation, I think is what they wrote down. Was there any one that jumped out at you? Yeah, well, the one that was, I mean, it wasn't a large one. Well, it was, you know, depending on how you look at it, it's a couple hundred dollars. But a receipt for some shirts purchased at Brooks Brothers. And they were, you know, again, the scribbling thing. And it was listed as tabs. Yes. Well, I couldn't get anybody to pay attention to that. So I myself personally went to the Brooks Brothers store and said, look, do you sell tabs? And they said, no. Um and of course, you know, the other part of it was, I said, well, can I, I actually went to the extent of just saying, I'm buying these shirts myself. I, <laughs> I went with the coats and I bought them just so I could physically see what they look like. Yeah. And yeah. They, they were white shirts. You know? No, we so, phoned, we phoned yeah. after you mentioned that. I, I called I, the store and yeah. it's true. I, I, I got to thank you for that uh, diligence you did on the, the Hong Kong thing and the, and looking at the, uh, the receipt number, because you got to feel good about that because nobody else did. I must say, uh, after I found the item number and looked up what kind of a watch it was, we just so happened to have like a fancy watch expert as part of our team. It's something she's really into. And so I, I sent a picture of it and said, have you seen this anywhere else? Yes, it looks a lot like the watch that was being worn during the exit interview, that big press ca- that yeah. big press conference yeah. that was happening in Victoria when they were all answering yeah. questions. Looks a lot like that. We haven't yet gotten an answer on that as yeah. to whether or not that money's been paid back. Do you know? Has any of this money been paid back? I, well, to my knowledge, none of it has been be, being paid back. <laughs> uh, but... But then I guess we'll just have to wait to see what happens in the court proceedings. But but again, you know, this is where it gets complicated because somebody could say, well, you didn't have a policy. And did you have a policy that says I couldn't buy that watch? Well, again, my argument would be is, is that 
it's still grossly inappropriate yes. because when did we start buying watches uh, for for employees? And even if we were, why are we buying expensive watches? Employees, uh, I might add, who are paid more than $340,000 per year as a I salary. Highest paid in Canada. Uh, by a country paid. mile. Uh, yeah. At the time, I believe that clerk's position was being paid more or about the same as the Prime Minister of Canada. Yeah. And, Odd. Odd. Uh, and one of my and favorite... a lifetime appointment. Go ahead. A lifetime appointment. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things I found quite curious was the uh, the reasoning, the excuses uh, behind some of these receipts. One of the ones that jumped out at me, apart from the, yes, having a whale watching tour and saying it was tsunami awareness preparedness. Uh, that was from your second report. And the baseball game. Uh, that was odd. But it was with the luggage. It was when they tried to explain that they were trying to build a communal pool of luggage for MLAs to be able to use in a pinch for overseas travel because apparently they aren't able to find suitcases on their own. Which, which reasoning bit made your eyebrows arch the most? What excuse well, made you go, on, really? Yeah, well, I can recall on a trip that in, I think nine or 10 MLAs, we went to Taiwan. And the Taiwan people are so extraordinarily nice. And, you know, everywhere we went, they gave us gifts. And, you know, everybody needed something to carry their stuff back in. So I remember very clearly going to a uh, one of these markets, you know, looking around for some kind of bag, the cheapest yeah. thing I could find, like 30, 40 bucks. <laughs> uh, and, and everybody did that. And so you could say, well, is there is there need for luggage? Yeah, there is. I mean, there, 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 you can go there and you're going to be given stuff to bring back, you know, literature, whatever, and it's not going to fit in your suitcase. But there's a communal a pool of luggage that is stashed somewhere well, at the legislature, though. Really? <laughs> no, that's just that's just complete and utter nonsense. It's just <laughs> it's just complete nonsense. That's not that's just not going to work. And, and certainly it, it doesn't fit to the reason somebody should have been asking this. Well, what is the reason somebody would need the extra luggage? You don't need the extra luggage because you're taking your luggage. You need it because of something that would happen over there. And then at which point you say, well, I'm going to hunt around and find the cheapest thing I can find uh, to bring the stuff back in. So like a normal but, person would if you're spending your own money. Exactly. Yeah, if you're spending your own money too, because you're thinking like, I don't really need this. Uh, but when you're buying luggage sets that are, I mean, or you're buying luggage as often as the clerk did. Like, Which was uh, a lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot of luggage. Lot. But now, I, I, I have to ahead. ask you about the wood splitter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm a rural girl. Uh, I've used wood splitters with my family before to put up wood for the entire year. What on earth would have justified the purchase of a wood splitter? And for people who don't know what a wood splitter is, it isn't uh, a chainsaw. It is a hydraulic press, basically, that pushes a bucked up piece, a chainsawed piece of log against an axe blade. So you don't have to chop it. It's basically a hydraulic chopper that runs along a track. And right. this one was pretty fancy. It was around $3,500. What on earth would a legislature need a wood splitter for? Well, most of us would say no reason whatsoever. There, there are a few trees on the property. Yeah. Uh, and one could say if there was some kind of disaster, as they alluded to, like, well, we needed to 
create firewood in, to keep people warm in case of an earthquake. Well, if you looked at the size of the trees, you're not splitting those with a wood splitter, that's for sure. No, uh, you certainly aren't. But, but it's, uh, so yeah, I mean, most people would say, oh, well, never mind that most people would say, there were people saying that before the purchase. And yet but, the purchase happened anyway. Purchase happened anyway. Okay. So, so that that whole thing was, you know, a bit of an example. It was a good example of of what happens. Like you can, you, even though people are saying, "Well, you shouldn't do this or can't do this or whatever," that doesn't mean it's going to stop anything. If you have certain people who say, "Well, I'm just going to do it anyway," but and to us, it perfectly symbolizes an institutional culture of entitlement and a lack of transparency and accountability. Because if people tell you you shouldn't buy that and you go do it anyway, and then you have the most ridiculous excuse in the world as to the reason of your purchase, and it wasn't even on the property before the hand was found in the cookie jar, this it perfectly symbolizes, from our perspective, the mismanagement of taxpayers' funds at that building. Yeah, I, I wish, Chris, that we could have you go there and just spend a couple months there and do what you do for the Canadian Taxpayer Federation. And number one, look at all of the things that need to be fixed and then mm -hmm. make recommendations on how they need to be fixed. So because you have no vested interest. Well, no. You know, other, <laughs> you know I mean, you, it, only in, in terms of your main thing is, yeah, do you have a vested interest? It's safeguarding or helping to safeguard uh, taxpayer dollars. Absolutely. Uh, and so why not do that? Well, my guess is that that ain't ever gonna happen because number one, they, they know the extent to which you're gonna dig. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just one of these things where it's, it's, it's a bad news story for people who are there, which is unfortunate. You know, like it's, you know, however well-meaning, uh, you know, for example, the current government might be, uh, there it's still seen from their perspective as a bad news story. Like people were constantly saying to me, Daryl, back off, back off, back off. You know, you're making everybody look bad. You're, you're tainting the whole organization. And my view was, no, I want to taint it. I want to burn it to the ground and then start afresh. <laughs> and then, you know, that will be a sign that you all understood how badly change needed to happen. And We've, nobody's going to get hurt by that. Nobody's going to get hurt on the other end of we're trying to make it better. But people were afraid to even go the first step. And oh my yeah. God, did they ever do that? Well, sunshine is an excellent disinfectant and that's what needs to happen in that building. And so we thank you for the work that you did there. Uh, going forward, if you can name two things, two major policy changes that have to happen in that building to create more transparency. We're talking mechanisms here. As you say, this doesn't have anything to do with the party that's in power, the NDP, BC Liberals, Greens, whomever, whoever it is. Going forward, there must be a mechanism built into that system of transparency, of checks and balances, of freedom of information, of posting of expenses, of no more, very few in-camera meetings of the Legislative Management yeah. Committee. And yeah. when wrongdoing happens, there has to be people answering things in front of cameras on TV, as we saw federally, you know, expensing a pack of gum 
gets you sitting there answering questions from elected officials. That needs to happen at the provincial level. Can you name two things as yeah. you're no longer speaker anymore, unfortunately, and you don't have this role anymore, that they need to change to make that happen? Well, I, I think, number one, we need to be FOIable. Yes. That's number two. There needs to be whistleblower legislation or a whistleblower policy that allows anybody who's got any kind of concern. And, and thirdly, I don't want that person who's done something wrong or potentially something wrong on spending really being in front of elected officials. I want them sitting in front of you. I want them sitting in front of somebody who's independent, who's, and, and of course, with the provisions that, you know, you do the review, if there's nothing, it's always confidential at the beginning, because, yes. you know, the last thing you ever want is somebody's wrongly accused of something. That's, nothing could be worse than that. Yes. Uh, so, and even, and of course, even being tainted, once somebody says, oh, you're under investigation for something, you know, your life goes into a tailspin, and you know, it's an awful situation. So you better be, you better be right. So, but I think you could envision a situation where you had an organization uh, from, uh, from outside the legislature, which is nonprofit, which is all about, uh, you have one primary focus of concern and that is appropriate spending of taxpayer dollars. So if we all can agree to that, that that's a good idea, you know, and I think every, well, why wouldn't you? It's motherhood and apple pie. It's a great thing. Uh, go for it. And, and we trust you to, to do it in a proper way, because if it's not done in a proper way, well, then you're the ones who are going to suffer for it. So, uh, and you're not going to let that happen. No. So, uh, so it just seems to me, it's not, it's not complicated here. It's not rocket science. It's like, we would expect to happen like we say, oh, we need an independent review by a court or like we want an independent review by the retired chief justice of the Supreme Court of Canada. Well, yeah, but I want that review by the retired chief justice of the Supreme Court of Canada where I'm not placing limits. I'm yes. not saying what you know she can see and what she can see. I'm interested in the pursuit of truth and getting to the bottom of the the issue. That's Why not set up a truly independent auditor general with an ethics commissioner and a whistleblower team? And that is their job. They are a team of watchdogs, both for the provincial level. And frankly, we need them for city level too. We've been calling for this now for a couple of years. Why not simply have a, a nice, robust, transparent, thorough and professional office that deals with this all the time? Yeah, yeah it would, it's such a wonderful idea. It would it'd just be it would be so good to have that, uh, but I would be very surprised if any elected body would be interested in seeing that happen, because they would say, you know, you're going to dig something up and, and, and we're going to look bad at some point. Uh, unfortunately, ra rather than say, like I said, the very first day I got there as speaker, I said, I don't care that I'm FYB, as far as I'm concerned, anybody has anything they want to know about what I'm doing or spending, like, have a look. Like, I'm not keeping anything from anyone. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
I managed to go through the whole exercise without any, despite all of the scandal and everything, you know, there was no negative consequence to me. Like it, it's not like they can't do it. Uh, but you know, some at some point again, and it's complicated right now to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But when it's over, we can talk about it because I have identified at least thirty things that happen at the legislature which facilitate corruption, and oh, most right. of those things are not things people are would would really think to look at her they'd think oh that's a great thing that's a wonderful thing well no it isn't <laughs> I mean, it's, it depends how you look at it um, but it's probably better to be talking about those things down the road after you know the the charges have moved along mm -hmm. uh, and the police are completely finished uh, because again there's some things that are the, the one thing that surprises me most, again, if somebody said what surprised me again is resistance. It's like, I'm thinking, well, why are you being so resistant? Uh, and the lackadaisical attitude people have towards, uh, towards any kind of untoward behavior. Like it's, you know, okay, well, what's, it's always what's the big deal. Like you mentioned the, the pack of gum. Well, mm -hmm. it's a big deal for me, a pack of gum. Because I think like, you know, it's not a lot, but if, if you're into that, mm -hmm. you know, if you won't buy like, your own gum, yeah, what else are like, you doing? Exactly. And, and then of course, as we discovered people, it isn't just, you know, chiseling $10 here, 10, it's doing it all the time. So over a period of time, it amounts to, uh, it amounts to a fair amount of money. And it's, it's just too bad that people wouldn't have that. Again, it comes back to, do you have, you know, what, where, where is your ethics? Where is your, your moral compass? Where is your, I always say that people get elected to office, not because people know them. It's because people don't know them. Because if people knew what some of these individuals are like, or if they knew that, they, they just wouldn't elect them for anything. Uh, and it's hard to get it. And I'll just say one last thing, and it's alluded to something. I know you know that, know this, but when you talk about meetings and we're talking about ways to save money and we're in a meeting, a finance meeting, talking about that and people say, let's just not talk about this right now, a particular issue. And there's very, it's very significant amounts of money and it's just, you can do that in a way we can say, well, let's just put it off to another meeting. Let's just, let's, you just keep booting it down the road and it never gets addressed. And it, it really struck me how people in elected office will say, I care about how money's spent and I want, I want attention called to this spending. We've got to save here. But when it came to huge amounts of money that were related to the political well-being of the party are mm. uh, the MLAs. It's a non-starter. Don't even go there. Mm. Uh, so, so one time perhaps we could have a conversation about that. But again, and it's very easy to do because you could say, "Well, 
are you doing anything illegal? No, you're not. Are you do, do, doing anything untoward? No. And you and it's hard to call somebody on these things because they can say, well, yeah, no, we just ran out of time. We, we there's always an excuse, uh, but it's pretty clear intentional behavior to have money concerns directed away from, you know, from what they, what we should really be looking at. Public scrutiny. Uh, In the meantime, we know this is going through the courts and I'll I'll lastly ask you this. We have a standing army of about 235,000 supporters across Canada and they're, they're doers. They like to do things and they like to push back. Uh, With these recommendations you have, who should they take this case to? Do we email the premier? Do we beg him and implore him to bring FOI and whistleblower uh, protection into the legislature? Who's the next call that we make? Well, that's such an excellent question because I'm reminded again, the government of the day right now, uh, the NDP government, uh, recognize the significance of whistleblower legislation legislation and introduced it but that didn't happen for the legislature so it needs to be something where where the government is is being attentive to yes we know this is outside of government it's the legislature but it's still the people who run that are elected officials Mm -hmm. it's made up it's the legislative management committee but I would say, so you have to say, well, who is the powerful voice that can get it changed? Uh, I would say, I wish you could go to the media. Uh, I'm just not confident about that because if the experience of the last three years is any indicator, there, there's not gonna be much help there. I wouldn't say that for all media, uh, but certainly for some media, it's unfortunate that they just don't have that investigative mindset and, and get change mindset. Uh, but the, the people, I think what would make a difference is let's just say you had a couple hundred thousand people writing letters or, you know, to the premier, um, that's, and all the MLAs, I mean, sort of blitz them, Mm -hmm. just blitz them and say, look, you know, either we're going to have change here, the kind of change that's needed, uh, or we're just not going to be supportive of, you know, any efforts to get reelected, you know, regardless of what side of the house you're on. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to say it to both, you know, both the government and opposition, because I think they, they, they do respond to that. Like, whoa, there's, this is building a momentum here. Uh, like I always say, you know, we've been through a number of significant, much needed social changes with respect to the treatment of women uh, you know, the treatment of people and various minorities and, of course, the Black Lives Matter, all of this is incredibly important. And I'm thinking one of the things which is coming up is the behavior of elected officials and uh, the way they treat, uh, you know, they, they treat the public and the way they abdicate their responsibilities. Now, of course, much of that should have been obvious by what's happened in the U.S. You know, that wasn't a very good situation there. But uh, but I think that's, I think a, a, a relentless assault on the failure to do things is, is what's needed. 
but and re remembering like one of the things I called attention to, you might remember from my final report was uh, an issue where a woman was mistreated. Mm -hmm. And I called for that to be investigated and they, they moved heaven and earth to bury that. It never saw the light of day. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, how is this remotely possible? In a place uh, where they literally make law and where, where law must where, be. Where they make law and you don't need to be living, you know, uh, you know, even if you're living under a rock, you'd understand that, you know, that anyone who's mistreating employees and women is like, this just isn't on. Uh, yet they've done that and they've done it as recently as, you know, the last month where they're still like, deny, 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 you know, they come up with comments like, oh, I never saw that. I never saw that report. Well, of course you saw it. You know, it's a matter of public record if somebody dug to see that they saw it. But uh, just to, so the, the level of resistance is just so, and I'm sure you've seen this a lot more than I have, like how people will just not let you get through the door. Mm -hmm. So you say, what does it take to get through the door? Uh, I think it's, it's a couple hundred thousand people saying, look, and, and even though I don't live in BC, it, it exemplifies what could be happening elsewhere across the country and stand up and be an example. Uh, so yeah, and I, I think that's... Well, that, that, that will give our army hope. Uh, one of our slogans is to stand up and be heard. Uh, that's definitely something that they'll want to see come out of this. I want to ask you just lastly, a fun, silly question. And I know it's silly, but it is symbolic. Uh, last I checked, the wood splitter is still sitting in a back parking lot. Uh, I did put a tarp around it in order to protect the taxpayer's you investment. Put a blanket over it to keep it warm. <laughs> I did. Well, it was starting to show a little bit of rust and it was uh, open to the elements. And, you know, so I put a tarp loosely around it to give it some air, but to keep the water off of it can't we put that on a pedestal somewhere not in the front we don't want to be tacky but in the back where the mlas where they walk in they jaunt in from their parking lot into the back door can't we set it there on a piece of concrete maybe even well, bronze it yeah the one complication is and you want to hold on to this thought when this is all over yep uh if anybody should be entitled to that it should be the canadian taxpayers federation <laughs> so you so you want to put in a you know a, a you know a notice to the government that you're interested in getting that uh, but the one thing that's complicated right now of course again it's always this the legalese thing you can't be you know getting the wood splitter and nobody's been convicted of wrongdoing related to the wood splitter right this is where it's this is where it's complicated because you and I might say, well, I don't care about whether or not you're found guilty in a criminal law. You know, the point it's is- still you, misspending. It, it's still misspending. Yeah. Uh, it's still dishonesty. Uh, it still wasn't appropriate, no matter which way you look at it. Uh, so I suppose on that ground, you could get it. But I'm thinking it's more likely uh, that it's, it's going to have to wait. But, but I really do mean it. I think the Canadian Taxpayers Federation should put a, dibs on that uh, ASAP because it may be that that thing disappears and 
so oh, many funds. Way to we're keeping an eye on it. We can put it in our uh, debt clock. It'll be yeah. part of our uh, rolling national yeah. tour. Uh, yeah, Mr. Fleckis, we, we sincerely appreciate the hard work that you did uh, keeping all of those receipts. And really, you blew that whistle long and hard. And taxpayers appreciate it. And I'm sure this won't be the last time we're talking. We're looking forward to next time. And hopefully, we'll have some good news for taxpayers by then. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And again, thank you for all that you and your organization does for Canadians. It's it's awesome. Thank you. Much needed.